0: This is the first phase of what will be a long-term project to divest from policing and invest in real community health and safety.
1: Those the words of Angelica Chasaro of Decriminalized Seattle, new coalition that wants to cut the Seattle Police Department budget. She's getting a lot of support from council members here, talking about redirecting money into other parts of our community. We're going to talk about that in just a second as the debate over police reform once again comes front and center in the city of Seattle. Welcome once again to... Seattle News, Views, and Brews, the political podcast that's all about binge watching Seattle City Council meetings and never feeling guilty about it. I'm your host, Brian Callanan. I'm also a host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own. My co host is Kevin Schofield from Seattle City Council Insight. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Brian. All right, here we go. Our background noise sponsor, as always, City Grind Espresso from the first floor of City Hall. Shut down during the pandemic. Charlie, John, hope you're hanging in there okay. Thank you for your support. And thanks to three new patrons on Patreon this week. Thank you so much for that. It's very important for us to keep the show independent, listener-driven. Your support really helps us do that. So thanks and keep it coming. Let's begin with right here, right now. Okay, so the Seattle City Council really working on getting down to business in this second full week of July. Some issues dealing with some transportation grants, parks and rec, getting the monorail ready for traffic to the new NHL arena next year on the agenda. But really the main focus that I want to look at right now, Kevin, rebalancing the 2020 budget before they tackle the 2021 budget in September. We're going to talk about that big business tax later in our our show here. But right now, I want to look ahead, especially to this idea of defunding the police now this is getting a lot more serious seven council members now expressing support for a plan that would somehow some way cut the spd's budget by 50 percent this year and kevin we have discussed this before the concept of redirecting the police budget reinvesting in other parts of the community sounds positive until you really dive into the dollars and cents to be clear here cuts of this nature would mean Major layoffs for the police department. As the council has talked about this more, the mayor's office has been pushing back. How far do you think the council is really going to take this when it comes to cutting the SPD's budget?
0: Well, I think they're going to end up doing something. Right, and the question is whether they whether they do meaningful things or they do things that aren't particularly meaningful. How how do you mean? um, So, you know, one of the proposals that that has come up in this discussion is. just moving some of the, you know, little departments within SPD out to yeah. other places. So, for example, the 911 call center. The dispatch, in right. in the right. SPD's budget. right? And, you know, and right now it handles both SPD and the fire department. Right. Uh, and, you know, other ambulance services and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's entirely civilian. There are no sworn officers that work in that That's right. Right. So, um they can move that out of SPD's budget. And that would, that would cut kind of, you know, uh, some number. $36 million, dollars. million dollars I think I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, you know, that doesn't actually solve any of the problems mm-hmm. we have with, you know, with, with the police. Right. Yeah. Um, In terms of the, police it, violence, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And, and nobody's really, I haven't heard anyone yet say, wow, you know, that N1, that 911 call center, boy, it's just, you know, it's causing such problems in, <laughs> right. in 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 the way we do policing in the city, right? Right. So right. Will it reduce our budget? Yeah. Will it have a meaningful dif- difference on the actual problems that we're dealing with in terms of bias and racism and and yeah. uh, and over policing? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So and, so it's it's easy to pick up a few of those and say, hey, we're making progress. But yeah. but you know, really doing something substantive is harder work. And yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, it in, it is going to involve cutting some number of police officers and funding programs to uh, provide, you know, nine one one response and other kind of responses that that we're asking the police to do that, you know, arguably are not appropriate for the police, you know, for things we have to actually Send somebody right. with a gun out to deal right. with it. right, right.
1: You no, know, a lot of the statistics show because the council's been looking at this. Forty-one percent of the calls coming into nine-one-one are disturbances, parking issues, public assistance, things of that nature. So, the concept is there. But I really want to get back to this whole idea of potentially cutting officers because that's what it's going to come down to here. And I thought this was very interesting. Some of the pushback from the mayor's office as spoken or written, I should say, by Deputy Mayor Mike Fong really pointed out that in terms of who gets cut here, this is a big piece of this. When you look at the way our police union is set up here in the city of Seattle, the younger officers would go first in terms of being cut. Fong wrote this in his letter. I thought this was a very, very important uh, quote here. He wrote this, some of our younger and most diverse officers would be the first cut, defeating the hard work done to recruit officers that reflect and serve their communities. I think that's a piece of it. If you're honestly going to reform the police department, I think some work has to go from within in terms of a, a department that reflects its community in terms of its
0: diversity or whatever else. This move to defund could actually cause some problems there, I guess. Yeah, and and this is going to be a wedge issue for this council in the mm-hmm. biggest way because it cuts at the heart of many of uh, you know the the, the labor organizations yes. and and unions. That you know, have put the, that kind of rule in place. That is a you know, a spog union rule, yeah. That's that, a lot uh, of unions that, have that, you know, right? Uh, and, or, and a lot of unions have it. So, the yeah. teachers' union has sure. the same sort of rule, right? This yep. is an issue that comes up with accountability and teachers all the time. That, yeah. that you know, if, if there are, that it's really hard to fire bad teachers, yeah, right? because if you eliminate teachers, you it's done by seniority, yeah, right? Yeah, and and so. Uh, And this is a this is a city council that has a lot that that a lot of a lot of these city council members uh, really got elected because of their support from labor. That's right. right. That's right. And if and if they have to sort of set precedents that cut against sort of the strength of labor to decide for themselves how, you know, cuts are made in situations like this that's going to be pretty painful for me.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And Kevin, just to wrap up on this issue here, this feels so much like the discussion we had a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the council's ban on tear gas, pepper spray, crowd control weapons there. I can sense that the council is somehow looking for a win here, but I'm just not sure this whole idea has been thought through. Do you, do you feel that way?
0: Oh, absolutely. I This, this uh, uh, idea has not been thought through. And you know, the, I, think I mean, just the logistics
1: income. of having yeah. like some she, sort of new nine one one system. You can't just, you know, make that happen by fiat. There's got to be training, right. all, all sorts that, of things going
0: on, and, that, and that's part of what the mayor is saying. But there is just enormous political pressure on yeah. this council to do stuff quickly. So right now, they're working on the twenty twenty budget. They haven't started right. working on the twenty twenty one budget. Right, yeah. right. So they got a little bit of time for the rest of the summer before they have to dive into that conversation. But yeah. for the twenty twenty budget, there's, there's just they're facing enormous pressure to actually do something right yeah. now. if and if they walk out of this rebalancing effort without having without being able to point to a reduction in spd's budget Mm -hmm. uh it's it politically it's going to be a big problem
1: i think so too and just looking at what the mayor was saying about it she's talking about well she did some of the work to actually check out what it meant to cut the budget of the spd by 50 percent she's talking about potentially laying off 755 sworn 281 civilian employees. So a lot of folks here potentially in the, in the crosshairs, I guess, of this whole discussion when it comes to defunding the police. So we're definitely going to keep an eye on that one. But Kevin, I wanted to move on to another piece here, a proposal for the Transportation Benefit District, as envisioned by Mayor Durkin. The TBD, of course, a voter-approved six-year measure, helps pay for expanded bus service. It expires this fall. It charges a sales tax plus a $60 card tab fee. So the mayor's talking about cutting this to just the sales tax part, basically cutting the revenue in half to about $27 million a year when you average it out over the next six years. And Kevin, I wanted to make sure we broke this down. She's doing this for a few reasons. Top two, I'm saying sales tax taking a big hit during COVID and I-976, which voters approved last year, but which is also still before the state Supreme Court, erasing the ability for TBDs to impose these types of license fees. So I'm trying to figure out what's next here. She made this proposal to make sure that this was not as big a hit on the taxpayers here. Your thoughts about what she proposed?
0: Yeah. And there's the flip side of this too, which is that at this point, we've seen a reduction in demand for transit. Of course. And Lots of people are trying to predict what will happen post COVID. Right. Yeah. As we come out of the COVID, everybody goes back to work and all this. Will people really want to go back to transit? Or yeah, you know, buses, I think cetera, sure. over, over the long term, they will. Yes. But is that a one year process? Is that a yeah. six year six month process? Or is mm-hmm. that a you know five to ten year process, right? Yeah. And so it's hard to uh it's hard to figure out, it's and it's almost impossible to predict how quickly we're going to need to ramp back up transit. And yeah. at a time where um you know we're, we're trying to restart businesses, right? Yes. And and taxes, um, you know, sales taxes and things like that um make it tougher. Yeah. Uh you know, how much do we want to ramp them? So they're 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 proposing a 0.1% sales tax. Right. The law says that they can go as high as 0.2% sales right. tax for transit benefit district. Um And they've chosen not to do that right right and again that that's sort of trying to find the right balance between you know all these different competing forces Mm -hmm. on doing this i think they would love to have a vehicle fee again and you know if the state supreme court Decides that uh, that that's okay. There were, and they they heard arguments on this uh, two weeks ago. Right. Uh, and you know who knows how long it will take them to rule yeah. on this. But right. If, right. if they decide that 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 if they throw out initiative nine seventy six, and there's a decent chance that they'll do that. Yeah. Then, um, you know, this isn't if if this gets passed. You know, that, and just going over the timing for this, what happens sure. is that um, city council will will write something. They'll yeah. certify it to go on the ballot. Yeah, they got to do that
1: by early August there. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: August 4th is a deadline to get it yep. on the November ballot. Uh, and then voters will voter, uh, vote on it in November. But that's not the final word on this, right? Because mm. um, the city council can come back and change the benefit district or pass another benefit district. So if they sure. suddenly get the ability to um, to do the vehicle license fees, they could, they could layer that on top.
1: Sure, sure. So a lot still ahead with that one and in terms of where the money will go, still some questions around that one. But the basic idea is they're trying to be equitable about it. I know there's a special push to put about $4 million into some of the mobility concerns around both sides of the West Seattle Bridge, not just building a new bridge. That's not what this discussion is fully about, but making sure those communities impacted by the closure. Georgetown, South Park get some relief, too. So not right. quite and sure that, how that's money going to help yeah, <laughs> without that, a new bridge. But yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's, and that's an interesting issue, right? One, yeah. one, you know, one, of the, one of the big principles they've said in terms of this, this proposal from the mm-hmm. mayor's office for renewal is to address equity issues. Absolutely. And some people have said, uh, well, you know, a lot of this money is going to go to support, you know, West Seattle and dealing yeah. with the mobility issues mm-hmm. there. And, and But, you know, West Seattle is pretty white. Does this really sort of sure. address equity issues? And Estat's argument back on that was what's happening right now is a lot of the traffic, that would otherwise go across the West Seattle Bridge mm-hmm. is going through these alternative routes, and a lot sure. of those are going through these communities like Georgetown and yeah. Delridge, yeah, South Park. And, you and, bet, and and South Park, and that uh, and those are communities that have historically um, had issues with pollution. Yeah, and, you bet. You know, environmental issues and lots of traffic, and all of those are exacerbated right now. So yeah, so putting money into that to find different alternatives to deal with these issues on the West Seattle Bridge actually it has equity implications in terms of relieving these additional pressures yeah. and negative impacts on these vulnerable communities. Yeah, yeah, and we'll see how this one pans
1: out on the November ballot. Thank you very much for that, Kevin. Let's move on to now hear this. Okay, so this is the segment where we pick apart a quality soundbite from over the past week and this time around we're talking Jumpstart Seattle. Councilmember Teresa Mosqueda sponsored this, of course, called this a huge win. This is that tax on big businesses. Here's what she said at last week's council meeting. Jumpstart reinvests in our families. It invests in our neighbors. It invests in local shops and our local economy. And it will help Seattle survive the crisis of COVID and emerge stronger and more equitable. And Kevin, we talked about this at length last week, this plan for businesses with at least $7 million in annual payroll getting taxed 0.7% to 2.4% on salaries at or above $150,000. But now the council has to come up with a spending plan. We saw a high-level version of that last week with some criticism from Councilmember Peterson. and The mayor saying, hey, wait a minute, you pass this first, then you figure out a spending plan. So there's, there's that piece of it. But in looking at this plan, it looks like in the short term, this tax is collected in 2021, a lot of it would be going towards continuing COVID relief programs that are in place right now, then transitioning to more affordable housing investments. It looks like the council is trying to build in some sort of flexibility here going forward with this.
0: Yeah, they are. are. Flexibility is definitely a big part of uh, of this for them. They don't really understand how long they're going to need to do COVID relief. Yeah. Uh, they're, they want, they're going to borrow from the city's emergency and rainy day funds immediately to get some support this year for this. And, the, right. and then the first priority next year for these uh, new payroll tax revenues will be to replenish those funds, which is good because they think they're going to you know, need more help next year with, Absolutely. with COVID yeah. relief. And then longer term, it goes into things like uh, building affordable housing. Now, one of the things that they did at the last minute before they passed this was they added back in a sunset clause, which is yeah, something that the 20 business year. community asked yes. for. Uh-huh. Originally, had a 10-year sunset clause. Now, they put in a 20-year one. And 20-year is an interesting number for this because uh, 20 years is the time that uh, is the usual payback time for um, city-issued bonds. Mm. So if they wanted to bond against this revenue source... Uh, uh, they could go, you know, get a bunch of cash up front to go sure. build a bunch of affordable housing now instead of just, you know, paying a little bit every year based upon the revenues that they get in. Build a lot of housing up front and spend the next 20 years paying off. So don't be surprised if, you know, when we get around to them writing the 2021 budget in the fall, yeah. that that becomes part of the plan. It's to they bond against, against the federal yeah. tax revenues mm-hmm. and just really you know front load a lot of the affordable housing building that they want to do around so that's that's what i read from the 20-year number yeah great observation they're going to try to they're going to try to bond against this
1: yeah i just it's interesting to me no comment from amazon as of yet Uh, what's their next move i know there's been some pushback from downtown seattle association the chamber as well what do you think amazon's next move is here kevin
0: well, there are folks in the business community who have been referring to the payroll tax as the Bellevue Redmond full employment. Yes, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, pushing out. Yeah. So, and 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 Amazon has already been moving to uh, acquire more office space. Sure. In Bellevue, and so I, I think as they, as we all come out of uh, you know the COVID shutdown, mm-hmm. uh, it will be interesting to watch how much additional hiring amazon decides to do in seattle versus doing in Bellevue, right right or in dc or in new york city sure right? sure I, I know that there was some pushback
1: initially from amazon when the head tax of 2018 went into effect and they stopped some work on a project that was happening in seattle there so yeah rather than a direct um what would you call it a political type of pushback here from amazon like a referendum things along those lines I think what we're seeing is, is more of a, a business related piece here. Potentially, what you're talking about, they're moving out some jobs potentially from our area.
0: Mm-hmm. So, we'll yeah. Have to and, see. I, I, and I don't know if they will actually move people, you know, transfer out yeah. positions or, or hire people at future Seattle growth potentially. Yeah. But they, they definitely have a lot more flexibility to hire and hire back people. Um, at a different location uh, right it wouldn't surprise me if they took advantage
1: of that all right we'll see what happens there i wanted to touch quickly on another topic that council member andrew lewis is working on cahoots as it's called crisis assistance helping out on the streets pretty good acronym got to give them that this is a program down in eugene a first response system independent of the police it is dispatched by nine one one in response to these crisis calls involving in, involving some sort of uh, public health type of situation so Unarmed crews go out. You got a medic. You got a mental health crisis worker. They offer a number of different services here in terms of counseling, conflict resolution, etc. It looks like this might provide some answers, and it gets back to that whole idea of changing the way nine one one dispatching is happening. Your thoughts, briefly, about uh, cahoots here, Kevin.
0: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting model. It seems to be pretty successful in in, in Eugene. Has been think, in Eugene, yeah. I, I, I think it really comes back to one of the just things we were talking about earlier, which yeah. is how does our nine one one system work, right? Yeah. And, and who gets dispatched, right? So this is the coots is really a model around looking at people in crisis, mm-hmm. uh, particularly like mental health crises. And deciding, okay, we're going to send a different set of people, other than people with guns, out right. to deal with this situation, and yep. which might, you know, actually make it worse. And really, you know, quite honestly, the police aren't trained to deal. They get a little bit of training in terms of dealing with people in crisis, right. but not really kind of the the deep help, deep medical and mental health help that, that these a lot of these folks need. Sure. So let's get somebody. With the right kind of skills mm-hmm. to address these situations, out to really go help somebody um, right. in that kind of situation, it raises these larger questions about: um, should those people be working for the government, or should mm. they be in a pri- you know, working for a private company? And, yeah, and and you know, how does that change our model for nine one one? Or is nine one one dispatching people who work for the government? Right. Nine one one dispatching people who work for in, you know in private companies, and to some right. extent they do a little bit of that already where they can, you know, dispatch an ambulance company yeah. other, than, other than, you know,
1: Seattle fire departments. Right. Canada, and, and, and Seattle Canada. does have that new team in place where they've paired up some uh, right. firefighters with a different type of response to some of these. Uh, they, they've piloted a program like that to try to deescalate some of these types of situations. So it's not a police situation.
0: Right. But, uh, but, you know, there are, there are limits to which the government can True. give you know franchises and restrictions and regulations around government yeah. giving franchises right. to private companies to mm-hmm. do these things, right? So to the extent that, you know, n- you know, nine one one becomes the way that you know dispatching is done for these kinds of services, right? Does th- have to be a request for proposals that, you know, that Absolutely. goes out. Yeah. Know, do they have to bid this out? Mm-hmm. Or is it really going to be you know, if, if Seattle tries to do something like this, is it going to be a service offered by city government employees. Right, right. That, that'll that be the next yeah, piece. So, hey, so there's a bunch of policy questions that come into
1: actually deploying something like this. Right. Looks good in terms of saving the dollars or whatever else and, and de-escalating some of these situations. But you're right. There's a lot of work that needs to go on behind the scenes. So we'll keep an eye on that one, too. I want to move on to our final segment here. What's next? Mm-hmm. Kevin, we're coming back to the old tree protection ordinance. This this embattled issue that has been going on for so long here a great piece recently in crosscut about this so the seattle city council was starting down the path of a new tree ordinance back in february got sidelined like so many things with the COVID crisis advocates though still clamoring for this 10 years ago the seattle city council was calling for an update to its tree ordinance and the point that advocates are making is this we are losing tree canopy all the while we're down now to 28% coverage compared to 40% back in 1970 is what they'll say. So the aim is to have some rules in place when trees are cut down on private property. And Kevin, I think this really sets up an age old conflict here. Seattle's population is growing. You will have more potential clashes with our urban forest. It's bound to happen. So what sort of update to
0: the ordinance is needed here? What do you think? Yeah. So there's a number of different competing forces. And as you mentioned, this is a thing that's replayed several times mm-hmm. over the last, yeah, you know, certainly 10 years and, and most definitely over the last four or five years. Absolutely. Really a lot been, of growth here. Been, 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 and you just in council chambers, this has yeah. come up over and over and over Absolutely. again. Absolutely, yeah. And it gets really tricky, right? And the simplistic way of looking at this is, you know, is this, you know, a conservation effort versus developers, right? We know we need more affordable housing, you know, and, and just more housing in general as the city keeps growing, right? Yeah. So we need to be building more housing. Um, where does it go and what are the rules for building that housing and how dense can we make it? Yeah. Um, So the, the, the one issue that really sort of gets sticky in the middle of this is, is tree protection becoming weaponized by, you know, what we would call NIMBYs. Yeah. Right. right. People, who really don't want denser development in single family residential neighborhoods. Right? And they could say, I lot, don't want that much. That's where a lot yard, of the trees sure. are. Let's mm-hmm. let's be honest, that's where a lot of the trees are, right? So is this effort to protect the key, tree canopy to some extent being weaponized to just stop cha- zoning changes or you know, even just the practical implementation of right. you know, apartment complexes and denser housing in single family neighborhoods. Right. right? That's right. really where this gets very sticky and, it, and it, you know, and we have, you know, progressive city council and have for a number of years now that really wants to support conservation and really wants to support the tree canopy, right. but also wants to support dent, increased density yeah. and increased um, affordable housing.
1: And, and another equity issue here too, Kevin, in looking at some of the stats here, South Seattle's got about a 11% tree canopy, the figures show, but then you move up to the north, End of uh, of Seattle, thirty five percent canopy cover there. So clearly, in terms of where the building has been happening, where some of these larger apartment buildings, whatever else, have been put in, they're happening in South Seattle. They're not getting the tree coverage that North Seattle is getting, and that's a big piece of it too. This equity part, right?
0: And 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 certainly from an environmental issue and just a health issue. Yes, right, it is really important to have trees there. But that's Absolutely. also a place where we're dealing with gentrification issues. Yep, yep, right? yep. And and people have been forced out of these neighborhoods because the housing there. You know, they've basically been priced out of yeah. housing, right? So building more housing in those neighborhoods in South Seattle is really really important. But is that just going to make the tree canopy issue worse? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 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 super difficult. And we get into this wedge issues around NIMBYism and mm-hmm. and whether, you know, this the tree canopy regulations are being weaponized yeah. to try to stop increased density of development.
1: Man, this is going to be a tough one for Council Member Dan Strauss to work with in his land use committee, but I know he's going to be working on that one. Kevin, it's time to start wrapping up the show. And normally, everybody, we wrap up this old Coffee Break podcast with some baked goodness. We have been supporting small businesses, women in black-owned bakeries, baking in your own oven at home, too. Very important during this time of COVID. Uh, Kevin, a baking question for you here, a storage question, if you will. So I have a brownie here in my uh-huh. in my hand. Uh, that my daughter's made. You can see some of the work with M&Ms and some of the gooey. They they like to get uh, creative with it here. Now, full disclosure here. I hoarded this last brownie, put it in the fridge in our garage to hide it from the rest of my family because they're so darn good. But I pull it out today and it's hard as a rock. And I guess I should have known, but I'm trying to ask, what is the proper way to store baked goods other than eating the entire tray of brownies right when they come out of the oven? Any thoughts there?
0: Well yeah, and we get this issue of like if it's a room temperature, it's gonna go bad yeah. and mm-hmm. mold and things like that fast. Yeah. But the problem with the refrigerators is that they just dry out food. They yeah, suck big time. all the water out of it. So yep. if you're gonna put something in the refrigerator, uh huh, put it either in a plastic bag okay. or in a Tupperware container. Something that's yeah. really airtight so that it doesn't hold the, the moisture out of that. Yeah. That will help a little bit. It'll still, the cold will actually, it, you know, it, it can actually sort of have some chemical reactions yeah. and and harden it up in some different ways. Right, um, right. But, you know, then what, I mean, what you can do with something like this is after you pull it out, you can just stick in the microwave for 15 okay. seconds. And a yeah, lot of that will just get those water molecules moving again and it'll kind of loosen all up again. All right. Thank, thank you for get getting me back
1: off 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 the ledge here, Kevin. This With is the brownie looks really good. It, it's jealous. awesome. It's really good stuff. But yeah, I, I, and then we'll get into the whole challenges of how to microwave something properly, getting it out of the fridge. That's a whole entire other show. Oh I'm yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you as always, Kevin, for your knowledge of all things baking related and civic government related too. I very much appreciate
0: it, sir. It's all about dehydration. That's
1: right. (laughs) Let's keep it together here. All right, folks, next time you want to know what's going on in local politics, give us a listen and find out what's brewing right here on Seattle News Views and Brews. You can reach us via email at seattlenewsviewsandbrews at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And please keep supporting us on Patreon if you like what you're hearing. Thanks, as always, for listening. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2020.